The great books are like the Leviathan, by mere exposure, we are changed. Can you take Leviathan home as a pet? If you merely touched him, you'd never forget. Welcome to Literary Leviathans, hunting the great white whales of classic literature, with Timothy and Elizabeth Russell. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole, filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. So Elizabeth, if the defining characteristic of a hobbit is comfort, why in the world did Gandalf choose a hobbit, Bilbo Baggins most of all, to be a burglar for the expedition? So he could steal comforts? What? I don't know. <laughs> That's the question I want to discuss right now. Why Bilbo? <laughs> okay. Um, he seems like the least likely person to be a burglar oh. on an expedition to go steal a dragon's treasure. Okay. Well, I think one of the reasons is that he is going to understand the dragon more than anyone else. Oh, interesting. Uh, I apologize, readers. I have a cold, so I'm going to sound uh, like a man today, but... Um, I think, you know, when he has his final face down with Smog at the end and they're talking, it's not the final one, but like when he goes in invisible and he and Smog have a conversation, yeah, they get along really well. It's true. And I think it's largely because Bilbo gets the, the idea of hiding away in a hole with all your stuff. <laughs> um, but he has the positive, um, the positive approach to it. Like when all the dwarves are showing up and he has to feed them, he doesn't like to do it, but he does. So of he course. like he has a very well defined sense of hospitality. hospitality. So, and that's exactly what Smog does not have. Smog is Smog's kind of the opposite of hospitable. He's like the Cyclops <laughs> in the Odyssey. He eats his guests instead of feeding them. Exactly. So, you know, the tunnel wound on and on, going fairly but not quite straight into the side of the hill. The hill, the hill, as all the people from many miles round called it. And many little round windows opened out of it, first on one side and then on another. You know, that first description could sound like exactly where smog is, that it wound round and round. And wow. it went further in. But the second part with the, w- the little windows and stuff, like, he still accepts the outside world and, and integrates into it. So I think that there's there's similarities with him and smog, and yet he's got this positive approach to having stuff and how you're supposed to spend it and use it. So he can he can really recognize... The, the injustice of Smog having all this stuff. You know, the dwarves can't. The dwarves don't have that. The dwarves don't have that hospitable point of view when it comes to their stuff. They just want it back because it's theirs. Um, not because of, like, the fact that they might put it to better use than the dragon. Right. Uh, that's sort of a, an accidental effect. Like, the dwarves might put it to better use. Um, they probably will because they'll actually use it, whereas Smog just hoards it. But... They they don't see it as like oh this is a way that we can open up our doors and make our dwarf doors and make the world a better place because of owning treasure. Interesting. What do you think about all that? Well, I just want to say that I had never thought about your observation there about the similarities between Bilbo and the dragon. Had you just thought of that, or was yes. that something? Wow. <laughs> yes, I, all my things come off the cuff. I don't actually ruminate on these beforehand. <laughs> listeners, I want you to know that I had no idea she was going to make such a profound observation there. <laughs> that wasn't set up at all. That Me just neither. happened. I, I appreciate that. That was pretty cool. Thanks. So, my cold is helping. 
Oh, I, I guess so. It must make your head more clear um, mentally. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> While it's unclear in other ways. So that was super interesting. I really like that about the. Yeah, it never occurred to me that, you know, he lives underground just like the dragon does, and he likes his. He likes lounging about and. He likes smoke. Yeah. He likes <laughs> putting smoke out from his mouth. That's right. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> psych, Bilbo's a dragon. Well, it's he's the perfect, that's the per- makes him the perfect antagonist to the antagonist, right? Protagonist to the antagonist? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. That was pretty clever. Thanks. Tolkien was doing way more here than even I realized. <laughs> and that's saying something, because Tim knows more about Tolkien than I do. Yeah. So, interesting. So... Those are the aspects about being a hobbit that make him good for this job. What about him being him in particular, though, about being Bilbo Baggins? Oh, like descended from Tooks? Yes, because he's not just a Baggins, right? He's also a Took. Right. And I think we have almost sort of like a Smeagol Gollum face-off going on inside of Bilbo's soul this whole time, where there's like this, the adventurous Tookish side of him. And then the extremely laid back, don't get into any trouble Baggins side of him. Yeah. He's, I love when he remembers, realizes who Gandalf is. And he's like, old Took used to have those on Midsummer's Eve. Splendid. They used to go up like great lilies and snapdragons and laburnums of fire and hang in the twilight all evening. You will notice already that Mr. Baggins was not quite so prosy as he liked to believe. <laughs> also that he was very fond of flowers. <laughs> So, you know, he's like getting all excited about these fireworks and stuff. And he's, um, he thinks that he's so, you know, comfortable being in the Shire and that he just never wants to leave. And he loves his, his home. And, and he's, you know, he's well advanced in years. I, I think he's like, by our reckoning, he'd be in his 40s. Oh, no, he's 30s. only, he's only 50. So he would be, you know, about in his late oh, that's 20s. Like 25, 26. Yeah. Right. Okay. You're right. Um, Okay, so he is young. I always thought he was older. He's older in The Lord of the Rings. Maybe you were getting mixed up with that. Oh, that's that's a different book, happening. you know? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, okay, so Bilbo, Frodo is actually older throughout The Lord of the Rings than Bilbo is in The Hobbit. No, Bill, Frodo is 50 when he sets out on his adventure, to which his is the same age. age. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm Where were you going around with this. that? Wrap my head around it. Um... I was going with it that he he thinks he's more of a Baggins than he is. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of ignores his Took side. And the Tooks were always more adventurous and pioneers of hobbits. Um, but Gandalf sees that side in him. Right. So he knows that it can be awoken. And it's helpful for, for Gandalf that Bilbo doesn't necessarily see that Took side of himself because it keeps him from being rash, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's got that that balance. Yeah, because it's not just, it's not a story about him learning to completely overcome his Baggins side and completely embrace the Took side. No. Because throughout the story, what is he always thinking about? Home. Yeah. Dreaming of eggs Odysseus. and bacon. And yeah. He wants to get back home. And so that, that Baggins part of him never really dies. And ultimately, it's that, that impetus for just, you know, being able to enjoy his own simple pleasures that sort of allows him to see past all of these grand things that are going on mm-hmm. around him. That's another thing where he differs with the dragon is that he likes simplicities, but he isn't 
petty about it. Mm. Whereas the dragon is petty about the grand amounts of wealth that he amasses. Whereas Bilbo is quite content with just, you know, a couple chests of treasure. Well, yeah, he wants comfort, right? So he wants, he doesn't want treasure for the sake of treasure. Right. He wants belongings for the sake of comfort. And to have too much implies that it's not going to be comfortable anymore. Sure. So he's perfectly content. In fact, it's implied that he never really spends all that treasure over the years. Yeah, he leaves a good deal of it to Frodo. And he, he, he spends it well, you know, in the meantime. Right. I mean, but he so little of it is seen by the Shire in general afterwards that they just have, like, the rumors of his wealth have inflated because he never uses it. Right. So they just picture him hoarding it in his in the bowels of his lair. That they've mm-hmm. never seen, right? They think that there must be tunnels and tunnels filled with treasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Gandalf knew, you know, he was like, to think that I should live to be good morning by Belladonna Took's son as if I was selling buttons at the door. So he knew his family already. Yeah. Gandalf did. And, you know, he'd even met Bilbo before when he was a... Uh, a little lad. Probably in his, his tweens, right? Yeah. Good old Gandalf and Bilbo. They, they, the two of them really make this story, in my opinion. Yeah, the most boring part, so when Gandalf leaves. Yeah, <laughs> it's just Bilbo and the dwarves, and you're <laughs> like, these dwarves are all idiots. <laughs> <laughs> they're all being devoured by the spiders and ship, you know, captured by the elves. Right, and leaving the path and <laughs> hoarding the I treasure. Mean, it's like they never read Little Red Riding Hood, I tell you. I, I, yeah, you're right. They probably didn't. That was their loss. It was. So that's that's why Bilbo then, huh? That's why Bilbo. That's why Bilbo. That's what this story should be called. Why Bilbo? Uh, it's called There and Back Again. Yes. Or A Hobbit's Tale. Or yes. The Hobbit. Or The Hobbit. Anyway, <laughs> I want to talk about the first chapter title briefly, which is oh. called An Unexpected Party. And I just want to sort of... A long expected party. Yes, Elizabeth, you're getting it mixed up with The Lord of the Rings again. Oh. That's a different book. <laughs> and I feel so, so patronized right now. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> Let me explain to you what patronized means. <laughs> no, I just wanted to briefly comment on the title of the first chapter, An Unexpected Party, and point out that that really sets the tone for the rest of the story, in that the whole thing is an unexpected uh, journey. Bilbo turns out to be an unexpected hero in unexpected ways. He's not the one who <laughs> kills the dragon, right? But he's the one who has the gumption to steal the Arkenstone and give it to Thor- Thorin's enemies to try to make peace between them. Which doesn't exactly work. It sort of does, I guess. Now, they were still going to fight about it, but then... Uh... Bilbo's not so much about defeating the dragon or doing some great feat. He accomplishes exactly what Gandalf wanted him to do in the first place, which is to teach Thorin how to be a good ruler. Ah, yes. And how to how to view his own treasure. A lot of good it did, Thorin, too, eh? <laughs> well, it did, though. <laughs> it did. He had, a, he had his little change of heart at the end. And the way that he passes on, you know, the way that the legacy that he leaves ends up being very important for all the dwarves. That's true. Good old Bilbo. Yep. Good old Bilbo and Gandalf and Thorin. Yeah, I mean, Bilbo is not Frodo. He's not out there to save the world or protect it from evil. He's out there to find himself and make sure that his gift can enrich others. The gifts that he has, the gifts that he gains along the way. Right. And that's very unexpected to him. Because, yeah, most of the time he didn't, like, have much of a purpose in in being out there. Yeah. 
there were plenty of times where I suppose he could have turned around to go back, except he probably didn't know how <laughs> to get back on his own. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably figured, I'll just keep going along with these people until before things we run started, their course. Before we started recording, you read that line of like, you know, he sees the mountain. He's like, is that the mountain? And Gandalf's all grumpy as usual. And he's like, no, of course not. Like, that's just the beginning of the Misty Mountains. And Bilbo felt more tired than he ever had in his whole life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think by the end of, like, the second day, he was convinced that they had to have been there by now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Bilbo. Let's see. I wanted to talk about luck also a little bit. Uh, you know, Bilbo is an incredibly lucky person, right? You look at all the things that happened to him, and they seem to happen by just sheer luck. And uh, people make several references to that throughout the story. I think Thorin mentions it when they're on the shores of Lake Town uh, after they get out of the barrels. And... Uh, here at the end, Gandalf says to Bilbo, You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? <laughs> you are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness, said Bilbo, laughing, and handed him the tobacco jar. And that's how the story ends. But, um, you know, I think that's it's interesting because Bilbo was chosen to join the expeditions that they would have a 14th member, right? So You have that, to avoid that unlucky number. Right, got to avoid the unlucky number. You don't want bad luck to be plaguing this. Um, and then they seem to be laboring under the delusion the whole time that Bilbo has brought good luck mm -hmm. to, their, um, to their journey, except for the times when they want to kill Bilbo um, because of the Arkenstone or some other bumbling mistake that he's made. But, um, yeah, I just think that's that's interesting that... You know, in some ways, it's the story of a fool, right? You know, he stumbles upon the ring, for instance, by sheer luck. He just happens upon it in the dark, and then it happens to be the thing that Gollum needs in order to kill Bilbo, and so he can't find it, so he can't kill Bilbo, and then Bilbo uses it to escape. And, and then he uses it to the rest of the story. That's yeah. That makes everything else so possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he is clever. He, he does have his moments of, of cleverness with the spiders and with the dragon and everything, but there, there is also that sort of foolish element to him of, of where all these things just happen to him by chance, it seems. And he just sort of walks into these situations and manages to get out of them. Yeah, he's not the brightest bulb in the barrel mm -mm. or the brightest dwarf in the barrel. But he, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he is, he's smart. Why do people don't put bulbs in barrels? Maybe they used to. No. Maybe it's a retro design. Wait, is that is that the saying though? Yeah. Brightest bulb in the barrel. I guess it is. I just never really thought about it. Anyway, you were saying um, that he he's not you know he's not the smartest person on the trip. He's not the dumbest either. I mean, some of those dwarves are not very bright. Hashtag bomber. But he, it's not his wits that save him every time. It's. Just the fact that it's it's beginner's luck. It's like the fact that he doesn't know anything about this world, so he doesn't really know how to behave. So he behaves in odd ways that end up throwing everyone else off because they don't they don't understand. Yeah. Like why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why are you thinking? He doesn't understand them either. So he ends up being very disconnected, and uh, and that ends up saving them a lot of times. Mm -hmm. He's flying by the seat of his pants the whole time. The only especially times when the eagles are carrying him by the seat of his pants. <laughs> The only times he fails is when he thinks he knows what he's doing or he thinks that he like knows 
how he should do something. He gets too clever at the end of his conversation with Smog and almost gets himself roasted Mm -hmm. for that last line. He thinks he should be, like, he has an idea of what a burglar should do or should be. So when he tries to steal from the trolls, that really goes south. (laughs) Yes, it's fine. (laughs) Because the wallet starts talking, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But then... Yeah, as he becomes more and more successful, the dwarves start putting all of this just blind faith in him. They're like, you're going to come up with this brilliant idea (laughs) to get us out of this situation. (laughs) And he's like, what do you expect me to do? This is hopeless. But they just have this faith in him because he's had all this luck so far and all these, you know, brief moments of ingenuity. They think he's dead so many times. That's true. And then he's not. Keeps showing up. And we're never surprised because we've always been with him through the whole thing. But from their point of view, it's just, like, he's immortal. He can't die no matter what happens to him. I think Disney should acquire the rights to The Hobbit and make a bunch of films of the story told from different perspectives. So you could have, like, (laughs) you know, 13 different versions of it told from each one of the different dwarves' perspectives. Um, And that would make it more interesting. You just came up with a better way to ruin The Hobbit than... than the previous ma- movies did. <laughs> this is very impressive. You're right, you're right. We're going to stop there, though, because we promised we wouldn't talk about the movies <laughs> during this podcast. Hey, you're the one who brought up movies. <laughs> I know, that was my... Hey, but I didn't bring up those movies. Oh. You know what we should do is we should watch the cartoon Hobbit again. That movie gave me so many nightmares. Gollum was creepy. He was scarier than he is in the Lord of the Rings films. I was so scared. I had He's nightmares terrifying. For, for years. We should go back and watch it again because it's know. I don't know if I can handle it. I think you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big girl now. <laughs> Did you have any um, different parts that you wanted to talk about? Uh, you know, I really don't remember, like, the whole half of the, the like, the middle of the book. Um, hmm. It does kind of uh, you know, Bjorn, lag a little bit in the right? middle. Is that his name? Bjorn. 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 Yeah. Um, and the elves. Like, I don't remember most of what happens around there. Kind of like up to Gollum and then from the dragon onward is the most memorable. Those are the most memorable parts of the story. Yeah, and I I remember like some of the beginning and stuff, like losing his leaving his pocket handkerchief behind and like that kind of stuff. Yes, but of it's been a while since I've read this. Oh wow. Um, you were supposed to read it in preparation for this podcast. When you told me yesterday that we were doing The Hobbit, I was supposed to read the whole thing. Yeah, well it won't have been yesterday by the time we released this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe I will have read it by then. <laughs> maybe. If you had to pick a favorite character other than Bilbo or Gandalf, who would you choose? It's really hard not talking about the movies because I could just say so many snarky things. Yeah, um, no, that's why we're not allowed to talk about the movies. <laughs> so other than Bilbo or Gandalf? Yeah. Uh, if I remember the dwarves well enough, mm. there's one of them who's like, I think it's Balin, but there's one of them that just really befriends Bilbo. Yeah, that's Balin. It's Balin? Yeah. I love him. He's great. He's the one He's the one who comes to visit Bilbo at the end that's with Gandalf. And okay. is he... No, it's Gloin that Frodo meets in Rivendell. Balin's yeah. the one who dies in Moria. Okay. Between the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Yeah. Balin's great. Um, and then Bomber's, you know... He's just very practical. Not Bomber. Ba- Balin. He's Balin. just very practical, very... He always reminds me of, um, what's the brother who doesn't... Who's the brother who doesn't thr- want to throw Joseph down the well? Who, like, leaves, and while he's gone, they throw him down the well. Was it Reuben? Maybe. 
Yeah, because Judah is the oldest. Yeah. It was Reuben. Okay. So Reuben, I always thought of Balin and Reuben as like the same kind of character. That's true. Because they're like, we "We gotta go. He's like, well, what about the burglar? (laughs) They're like, dang it, we forgot about the burglar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's great. Anyway, what about Bomber? Oh, Bomber's kind of endearing just because he's so like large and bumbling. And they have to roll him along and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't have much personality other than that. Most of the dwarves don't have very much personality. They really don't. They're they're comic relief or extras. Right. Usually. Well, you know, and they they were put in there to make up 13 so that (laughs) Tolkien would need to bring in Bilbo as the 14th member of the expedition. Mm -hmm. Also, because their names were taken from this old Icelandic poem. There's this old Icelandic poem that... Like, lists off all of these different dwarvish names. Including Balin and Balin? Yeah. Because, um, are, is there a Balin and a Balin in the dwarves? No, no, no. They, Balin is the way to say it. Okay, because there's... There's Balin and Dwalin, who are brothers. Balin and Balin are two knights in uh, Mallory's King Arthur. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, they're paired up. They're also in Tennyson and Steinbeck. So, they're, um... I always thought of them, but I, I'm not sure that that's actually, that he was actually drawing from those names or if they were just a, just happen to be another instance where we can find that name in, uh, in literature. Yeah, it's probably that latter option. Yeah. If I had to pick a favorite character, um, other than, you know, Bilbo or Gandalf, I like Thorin when he starts like ta- giving long spiels about things and using big fancy words and he pauses for effect and like, <laughs> Expects Bilbo to say something, and Bilbo doesn't know what to say. <laughs> it's just, he, he's like he's like the iconic dwarf businessman sort of person. <laughs> um, sell you my ideas. Yeah. He's a little too slick for his own good. <laughs> yeah, but I like Bard a lot. The guy who kills the dragon. Yeah. I always liked Bayorn. Oh, yeah. Ba- Bayorn is fun, well. too, but he's kind of scary. Well, yeah. And he turns into a giant he's bear. He's not a tame bear. He's not a tame bear, that's for sure. <laughs> That's for surely. Well, that was about all I had um, for this off-the-cuff episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to do one soon that's more prepared. Yeah. I feel like we've... Well, I mean, we did Fahrenheit 451. That was was more more prepared. Yeah. And then... But The Little Prince was definitely a filler, and this was a filler. Yeah, but with The Little Prince, we were able to talk more, like, big idea sort of style. With The Hobbit, it's kind of difficult, because... Mostly, well, if you want to do that. Mostly, the Hobbit's just the Hobbit is a charming book. Well, no, that's no. its most overwhelming quality. Is it's incredibly charming. Maybe, but you could definitely talk about the fact that it is the first long form fairy tale. No, all right, I take that back. Not the first. It's not the first. The Princess and the Goblin was older, mm-hmm. but it was the first very famous one. Um, Princess and the Goblin was fairly famous. You think so? Oh yeah. Hmm. In its own time. Yeah, I mean, I know it influenced Tolkien. Oh, yeah. But MacDonald was a couple generations before Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But there weren't that many. No, that's true. Um, Well, I mean, it was, it's certainly very significant in, like, the history of, of storytelling. But it's no, in terms of, like, the ideas that it grapples with directly, it's, it doesn't compare with The Little Prince in that regard. That's True. all I was saying. Oh, okay. Yes, I agree with that. It's it's hard to have like a philosophical discussion about The Hobbit. 
because it's just it's an adventure story. Yeah, you want it, it's start... got these themes of, you know, of luck and simplicity and things like that. It's an adventure story, which in you know, in fairy tales implies luck. It implies uh, a series of episodic encounters. Mm-hmm. Um because the about, trolls like, and the spiders don't have that much to do with each other. Right. Like the classic stories where the young the youngest son has to go out and earn his fortune, right? It's this, t- it's that type of story. Yeah. Um, he's the underdog. He's, he's overlooked. People don't think Underhill. that much can come from him. Um, but they, but he always has some kind of magical friend that he befriends who sees potential in him. For example, uh, the, I think it's the white cat is the story where the youngest son meets this white cat and she, takes him in and she helps him and they like become best friends and every time he encounters a challenge she's able to guide him in how to how to get through it mm-hmm. and that's his luck in a sense and that's that's Gandalf Gandalf is the magical friend who helps him through all of these challenges right. well and then the ring eventually sort of takes on that role also. which also is reminiscent of the bronze ring um Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy book. It's the first story in that one. Oh, okay. And, uh, and that's that's a magical ring that makes everything seem to turn out okay. Oh, uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely lots of fairy tale elements you could pull and uh, and see that, like, there was a lot of inspiration for things. And it's, it's easy to see The Hobbit only in the context of The Lord of the Rings, but The Hobbit wasn't written in the context of The Lord of the Rings. It yeah. wasn't intended necessarily to go along with that. I mean, Tolkien had his world, but... I don't know that this was specifically part of that world, though. No? No. And I think it was it was similar, but it wasn't... He, he sort of pulled in elements from that world to supplement The Hobbit where it needed, but he, well, I don't think he was really intending to place it within this vast mythical scheme. world. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you'll see references to like fairies, for instance, oh. in The Hobbit. Whereas I don't think the word fairy ever even appears in the, the Lord of the Rings. I don't remember that. The yeah. References fairies. And it, it's just as a synonym for elves at one point. But oh, okay. by the time he was writing The Lord of the Rings, he was much more precise, systematic, and precise. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I, I was thinking that we could try to talk about. The Hobbit, um, and apply it to the hero's journey, but that was a kind of a, kind of a bigger topic than I felt we were really prepared to do at this time. Okay, we could do a follow up episode later on about that. It's very easy to do in this one. Mm-hmm. But I think we're out of time for today, and kids. We are. We're actually over time, except that we have a lot to edit. So is it over time though? Do we really have a time? Limit? I thought we were like twenty five minutes or so. That was like oh. normal. Well, no, it's been like. 20 to 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. Well, there you go. Yep. You got to so, stop down. Before hope you've enjoyed this super candid episode of <laughs> literary Leviathans where we just admit to you that we really didn't do any preparation for this episode <laughs> and, you know, enjoy my cold. Yes. That was fun. Uh, I'm going to have to edit out all of Elizabeth's sniffles. Hopefully you <laughs> won't know what I'm talking about at this point because I'll have edited them out successfully. In the meantime, stay literary and <laughs> love your that? life. <laughs> Can you take Leviathan home as a pet? If you merely touched him, you'd never forget. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and know others who might also enjoy it, please help us spread the joy of classic literature.